calls shalom, the presence of God which results in the peace of mankind. And upon sin, we lost that shalom. This restlessness has plagued us. And so here's the question as we get, okay, that, that's theory, right? You, you're all with me? Let's get really practical. What is restless within you? What is it? Nothing is not an answer. What is restless within you? What drives your restlessness? For all of us, it's different. It could be different. For example, um, when, when you think about what makes you rest, pardon me, let me stop for a second and say this. When you ask yourself what makes you restless, you've got to think deeply about this. Because so many of us, the world in general, will dull our restlessness with either self-righteousness, I feel better about myself, or self-indulgence, I'm enjoying myself. And that's why Jesus says, I have to wash you, because you can't wash yourself. Self-indulgence and self-righteousness will not wash away this restlessness from sin. And so here's our connection to Jesus, that He must wash us. So what is your restlessness? And I think when you find your restlessness, here's how we connect to Jesus. Your restlessness, whatever drives your engine that makes you say, I'm not okay, or things are not okay, whatever churns that engine, you'll find that the answer is actually found in Jesus Christ. For example, if guilt is the thing that drives you, maybe you just are overwhelmed with guilt, that you cannot believe the things that you've done in your life, and that restlessness drives you to do better, to promise more, to, to vow to God that you'll never do it again. You just continue to churn over that. Is guilt your restlessness? You'll find that God is ultimately the one that you've offended. It ends with Him. If sh is shame your restlessness? That I'm just so ashamed of who I am and what I've done and, and, and the qualities and characteristics of my personality are just so shameful. I'd, I don't want anybody to know. I can't imagine. My worst nightmare is people knowing about what's ugly about me. Is that what drives you? You see, Jesus is ultimately the one that you and I can't really face. He's the one that we should be ashamed in front of. Is bitterness your restlessness? Being bitter frustrated by how life has gone. The events of your life have not gone the way that you've wanted them to go. Is that driving your restless engine that you become bitter and angry? You'll find that Jesus is the ultimate one that you're actually angry with. Is honor your restlessness? Ultimately longing and desiring to be honored among men. To have people look at you and say, wow, what you've done impresses me. Does that drive your engine? You'll find that Jesus is ultimately the one that you were designed to receive affirmation from. So how does He wash you? How does He wash you? If this restlessness of sin is within us and it's driving us and we try to wash ourselves constantly through self-righteousness or self-indulgence, how does Jesus finally wash you? Let me walk you through this quickly. If it's guilt that is driving you, you're just eaten up with guilt that you cannot believe the things that you've done, Look into the parable. Jesus took the punishment for you. He's washing you. Every ounce of punishment that you deserve for what you've done, Jesus took it. Do you believe that? And when you believe it, it connects you to the washing. He was punished for what I deserve. It solves your guilt. Is it shame? 
Jesus is the righteousness that he gives to you and says you can stand not only in front of all mankind, but in front of God wearing my righteousness, the gift of my perfection I give to you gladly. Put me on and wear me and stand up and say, I know that I'm lost and sinful, but I am infinitely loved. Stand up. He solves that. He washes it. Is it bitterness? This is a little bit harder, so let me take just a minute. Are you bitter about the way things have gone in your life? I want you, If that's you, hear me for a minute. Ask yourself this question. Bitterness is eating you up and driving you. And to solve your bitterness, you either escape to indulgence or you run to righteousness. You try to feel better. But is bitterness eating you up? I would ask you to think about this. What is it in you that produces the feeling of bitterness? You see, it's not only the existence of God, but it is the goodness of God that you are questioning that's produced bitterness. Because you're saying, not only God do you exist, but you're saying, God, you said you were good, therefore why has this happened? And so it is not only the existence of God, but the goodness of God that you're questioning. And so then I would ask this, where did that notion come from that God exists and that God is good? Where did that, where did that get planted within you? You see, you have within you a deep sense of what is fair and what is right and what is just. And most of you, some of you in here have experienced the wrong side of justice and what's fair. Some of you experience things that are not fair in your life, that are not just, and that are not of your cause. Here's all I can say to you because I wouldn't necessarily put myself into that camp although I could probably find some things, but I, here's what I would say to you, because I don't have awesome answers for this, but if bitterness is the thing that's eating you up, here's how I believe Jesus washes that. First and foremost, He understands. He has empathy. And people who have been wronged most often need first and foremost to be understood. Better than anyone, Jesus Christ understands injustice and betrayal. Who was in the room when he washed feet? Judas. So if there's anybody in the world that understands betrayal and injustice, it's Jesus. He knows the feeling also of unanswered prayer. He knows the feeling of being on his knees, looking to the heavens with tears in his eyes, sweat drops of blood earnestly begging with every fiber in his being that something would change and it doesn't change. He understands that. Completely has experienced that. And through your wounds, whatever wounds you've experienced, whatever injustice you've walked through, I would say this, just like Jesus through his wounds, perhaps those wounds are bringing you near to the heart of God. That's the best I can offer you with regards to bitterness and how Jesus washes that away. The last one is honor. Jesus is the one who restructures your broken system of seeking honor from those who will never be able to fulfill your heart. Is it a parent that you just want to please, a spouse, a child, a boss, the church community? Who is it that you want to please so bad that's going to make your heart feel so full because they look at you and say, I approve of you? Who is it? They don't measure up to the God of the universe saying, you're mine. Well, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. They don't measure up. And Jesus restructures that for you.
I believe that's why Isaiah called him. He's the prince of peace. One last note on washing is this. Remember who he's talking to here. These are not people being introduced for the first time to Jesus. That's why Jesus said those who have bathed don't need to wash except for their feet. These aren't people just being introduced. And so you might be saying, okay, this is an evangelistic sort of message to those who are not Christians. This is how Jesus washes. No, no, no. This is continual washing of the feet of those who have been bathed but are walking the road of life and picking up dirt along the way. This is a process by which you will continue to be connected to Jesus Christ. As you pick up dirt, as you walk along the way, and Jesus comes and He wants to wash your feet, you have to continue as you think about what's driving your restlessness constantly. Come back to letting Jesus be the answer. Your restlessness will continue as long as you walk the journey of life. Let me give you one last point and we'll be done. There's one additional if I statement in this text. You notice verse 8 says, if I don't wash you, you can't have a part with me. There's one other if I statement that completes the circuit of our attachment to Christ. And I don't want you to miss this because what we've just walked through is the reception from God to us of love. So we've gone halfway through the circle. But there is another if-I statement in verse 14 that takes that love and finishes or completes the circuit so that attachment can be formed. Jesus said in verse 14, <clears throat> excuse me, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And here's how it comes together. We ought to wash one another's feet. What does this really mean? There are actually people that take this literal, like this is a sacrament. You know, we've got baptism, the Lord's Supper, and feet washing. So maybe in April we'll have a foot washing service in here when we're done with the, the, this sermon series. And I'd appreciate if you wash your feet before you come. You know, <laughs> I've actually watched one, and it's, what's funny about it is people actually come in, pre-wash their feet, and then sit down and have their feet washed. And listen... The farthest thing from Jesus' mind is creating another, another form of religion for us to do. When Jesus says, wash one another's feet, He's not meaning, I mean, if you need your feet washed, we'll talk about it, but He's not meaning get down there with a scrub and, you know, get the heels really good and put some low. It's not what He's talking about. There's two places in the Bible you can think about. One, really kind of obscure place, but in 1 Timothy 5, when Paul is giving Timothy instructions on receiving widows into the church without being married, and saying, what he was meaning is bring them in and take care of them, and don't encourage them to remarry. He says, make sure they've been people who have washed the feet of saints. Interesting, right? It doesn't really unlock it for it, does it? <laughs> we just got another reference. The other one is this. When Paul is telling Timothy in Ephesians about husbands loving your wife, he makes a detour to show an example of Christ there in verse 25. And he says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. And then he goes into what Christ does for the church. And he talks about washing her with water of the Word so that she can be presented spotless. What I think washing is, my best shot, is to tenderly come to people who we see that may not be able to present themselves spotless before the Lord, their, bride, their groom as his bride, and tenderly helping them be cleaned up. Sometimes that means forgiving them, caring for them, loving them, 
and maybe even instructing them. But we must, as Jesus said, do it like him when he said, I've given you example. And so I would say this. It starts first and foremost that we share a table with those that were around. Jesus wasn't above them or below them. He shared the table with them. So he's equal with them in this moment. He noticed dirt on their feet, so he was keenly aware of it. We need to be like that, noticing each other, reflective upon each other, caring for each other. He approached them as a servant, wearing the garment of service. He didn't go get some cold water and say, I've got to wash these feet because you guys are so arrogant and proud. What's your problem? He tenderly washed their feet. And after he washed their feet, he returned to the table. And here's what's important about that. Because when you engage, this is what's so troubling sometimes. We just spent six months, our elders have, how to do church discipline, right? And they've been resoundingly saying to you, go to your brother and sister. When you're concerned, when they've hurt you, go to them. And oh, we would just love for that to be a quality of this body here. Here's what's important. You've got to start at the table with them, and you've got to finish at the table with them. The moment you think you're better than somebody because you've washed some feet, you've missed it. You missed the point. Jesus came back to the table. And Jesus says, when we do that, when we share this table and we wash each other's feet so that we can be presented spotless before Christ, we are going to fully be blessed. We are going to enjoy the participation of God's will, our original design to be flowing in the will. But here's what's interesting about his statement. He says, you won't do this until I wash your feet. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you can do that to others. The gospel has a very powerful but humbling way of bringing every soul it comes in contact with to the brink of bankruptcy, where you have absolutely nothing. All human pride must bow before Jesus Christ and humbly receive His washing. And so I would ask you this as, as you reflect. In what ways are you still standing at the table around Jesus and saying, like Peter, I'll take care of washing myself. There's no way I could let you wash me. In what ways are you still trying to solve the restlessness of your heart? In what ways are you still trying to say, I'll clean myself up? In what ways, when Jesus says, let me wash you, are you still so proud that you say, no way I could never? How is that working in your life? Reflect about that, disciple of Christ. Think about it. And let Jesus wash you so that you can be attached to Him. If we can help you tonight, come as we stand and sing.